Uh, well, good morning, everyone. Uh, may, may, may I add my welcome to Andrew? Uh, my name is Paul, one of the pastors here. Uh, it'd be great if you keep uh, that passage open as we look at that this morning. Um, but ha- and there's also, I think, an outline in your handout, which will be hopefully helpful. Um, how about I pray uh, before we get stuck into this? Let's pray. Father, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. So I pray that our hearts and eyes may be open to see the great truths in your word this morning. May we go out of here today seeking to live for you more and for ourselves less. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, Well, I am the greatest, not me, uh, but those words uh, were uttered, famous words uttered by Muhammad Ali. And Ali uttered these back in 1964, and he boldly declared these words before he was even crowned world champion. Ali, he he was bold, he was brash, he was a ferocious competitor. Uh, He had an incredible record of 61 fights and only in those five losses. And even with his record, he went in as an extreme underdog into the world championship fight. But he wasn't phased. You know, he went out swinging and he, was, he, he won the, the fight and was crowned the world heavyweight champion at the age of 22. At the end of the fight, Ali jumped up on the ropes and again declared to the crowd, I am the greatest. And he said, I'm going to shake this world up. Muhammad Ali uh, has gone down in sporting history as an all-time champion. And many people think he truly was the greatest. Uh, I wonder, though, maybe you're not a big boxing fan. I'm not either. I wonder, who do you think of, if I were to ask you, think of someone great? Do you think of people like Alexander the Great? You know, greatness, it's in in the title of his name, so surely he's, he's great, isn't he? He had great military success and leadership prowess. Or do you think of people like Shakespeare, whose writing was groundbreaking and beautiful? Do you think of people like Steve Jobs, who from his technological design and achievements, the world will never be the same? Or I wonder, are you like me? When I think of greatness, I think of Olympic champions like Usain Bolt, who's run faster than anyone else in history. Greatness throughout human history, has almost always been measured by people's success or achievements. Whether great or small, whether informal or formal, as a society, we look at what status or goal people reach and we regard them as great or average. And I think this thinking about greatness is is deeply ingrained in our psyche. From a young age, we're, we're told to follow your dreams. You can achieve anything if you just simply put your mind to it. You know, from a young age, our parents, our schools, our society has trained us to believe that value and meaning and identity is ultimately found in what we achieve. You don't don't hear many people say, I just want to be average at my job, or I I just want to get average grades at uni, or I just want to be an average father. Our world says being at the top of the pile, that's greatness. And I think even if we don't aspire to great things, we live life as if we're the most important person. We live life with our needs at the forefront of our minds. We live life thinking of ourselves before others. And I know this because it's how I so often think. 
I think what matters to me is the most important. Even this week, as I've been sitting in this passage, writing this sermon, uh, my, my wife will ask me, hey, Paul, can you come and do this? And I'll say, I oh, can't, you just do it. Or can I get to that a little bit later on? Or I know like in conversations, I'll be chatting with someone, and I'll be talking and talking and talking, and I'm just like, I'm just wanting them to stop so that I can say what I'm thinking, what's on my mind, and share my thoughts and opinions. We all live life thinking we're the greatest. We might not have the boldness to declare it like Muhammad Ali, but in the quietness of our own heart, in our actions, we live lives with us at the centre, wanting our needs to be met ahead of others. And this idea of greatness is exactly what Jesus hones in on in this passage today. It's what Jesus wants us to think about. And what what does Jesus say about greatness? Well, Jesus wants us to see that true greatness is a life of service. True greatness is a life of service. Over the past few weeks, we've been looking at Jesus' counter-kingdom, and we've seen how Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. His kingdom is one where forgiveness is to flow unceasingly. His kingdom is not about doing things to gain eternal life, but it's about receiving the grace and generosity given to us in Jesus. Jesus' kingdom is so upside down. And so, so it's no wonder that his teaching on greatness flips our society's views on its head. And Jesus' teaching on greatness, it's not just countercultural today. It was in his day too. And we see this in the first part of our passage. As the disciples, they desire greatness in Jesus' kingdom. Have a look there with me again at, at verse 17. Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. On his way, he took the twelve aside. Now the, this, this verse sets the scene for the rest of our story today. Jesus and his disciples are heading up to Jerusalem. And now the city of Jerusalem was the city of David. It's the city where God's kings of old ruled from. Jerusalem literally, if you look it up, it sits on a mountain. And so you would ascend this rocky landscape to get to the city. And at this point in Matthew's gospel, Jesus has become a bit of a local hero. He's gathered, you know, quite a following. He's a strong and magnetic kind of leader. People want to follow him. And he's been teaching his disciples things like the kingdom of God is near. He's been teaching them, seek first the kingdom of God. So as the disciples and Jesus head up to Jerusalem, the disciples are looking at Jesus thinking, this is God's king and he's here to, you know, sit on the throne. He's ascending to the throne. Jesus has come to rule and overthrow the political powers of the day. The disciples are thinking, this is a Muhammad Ali kind of moment. Jesus is going to be crowned the heavyweight world champion. And it's into this context that the mother of James and John comes to Jesus with a request. Have a look look there with me at verse 21. She says to Jesus, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You've got to love the ambition of this mother, don't you? It's a classic kind of mum move, isn't it? You know, she comes to Jesus with her boys in tow and she comes with her boys' futures in mind. This is what parents do. She wants what she thinks is best for her sons. And so she asks Jesus, make my boys great in your kingdom. 
she realizes who Jesus is. He's God as a man. So she says, let my sons be your right and left hand men in your kingdom. She wants her sons to be the most important people after Jesus in his kingdom. Wonder, did you, did you notice the wording of her request? She says, may they sit at your right and your left. She's not saying, can they serve you in your kingdom? She's asking, can my boys have a position of glory and honor and power in your kingdom? Can they rule with you in your kingdom? Now, I remember as a primary school kid, in my final year, you could run for like school captain. Maybe some of you aspired for this as well. Uh, And I remember, you you know, you had to prepare a speech and give it in front of the whole school. I remember practicing it many times with my dad going over different lines and whatever. And I remember walking around the school, putting up posters saying, vote one for Paul. Um, And I remember the day, you know, I'd given the speech, the votes are counted. I remember when I wasn't elected. I remember, I I think I I ran into the bathroom and I, I was in tears. I was devastated. And you know why I was devastated? I wanted to be the kid who sat at the front of the assembly next to the principal. I wanted to be the kid who everybody knew. I wanted to be the kid in the loop of all the decisions and things the teachers are making or what I thought I could be an influence in. You know, I, I wanted to be somebody. And just like me, James and John, to a far greater extent, they desire that same feeling. They desire recognition. They desire to rule over others. They desire to be somebody people look up to. They think that's where greatness lies, sitting above others. But Jesus challenges their aspiration and ours as he teaches that true greatness is a life of service. Have a look there with me at verse 24. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Do you see the reaction of the other disciples to James and John's conversation with Jesus? They're indignant. Now, that's just a a fancy word, a fancy way of saying they're angry. And they're angry because they didn't think of it first. They're angry because they desire the same thing. But Jesus, he responds to their frustration. He responds by giving them a comparison. A comparison between worldly greatness and greatness in his kingdom. Jesus says, look at the Gentiles. Look at the Roman rulers. You know how they rule. They throw their weight around. They get others to do what they don't want to do. Their ambitions, their desires are are first. It's a self-serving kind of rule. It's a rule centered around what's best for them. Jesus says that's not the path to greatness. Ruling over others, seeking your own agenda, that's not the path to greatness. Jesus goes on in verse 26. He says, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first, must be your slave. It's fascinating here, isn't it, that Jesus, he doesn't seem to have a problem with greatness. He doesn't have a problem with that ambition. He just wants to reframe how the disciples are thinking about it. He reframes greatness quite radically. Jesus says that true greatness is a life of service. 
In Jesus' kingdom, it's not about lording it over others. It's not about seeking your own agenda. It's about serving others. In the world, greatness is often measured by how many people serve you, what position you have. But not so in Jesus' kingdom. With Jesus, greatness is measured by if you're willing to serve others. John Piper makes this helpful comment about sermonhood. He says this, and he says, In every culture throughout history, servants have been those who by virtue of birth or circumstances have been forced to spend much of their lives pursuing the good of someone else above their own. The vast majority of servants have occupied the lower tiers of social status. And while a servant might aspire to a more socially recognized and rewarded level of servitude, it has been extremely rare that a free person would aspire to servanthood. John Piper's picking up on how radical an idea the life of service is. To choose to put someone else's needs ahead of your own is outrageous. To serve others ahead of yourself is not the way our world thinks. It's why the dishes stack up in our homes. It's why when someone asks us to do something, we don't drop everything and help. You know, we, we check our calendar, we chat with our spouse, we say things like, oh, I'm really busy at the moment. Maybe let me know next time, you know, you need a hand. We choose our comfort, our desires and our ambitions over other people's needs. But in Jesus' kingdom, if you want to be great, you're to pursue the good of others ahead of yourself. The question Jesus is asking his disciples and he's asking us is, will you live life pursuing the good of others above yourself? Will you live a life of service? Or will you live life wanting to be served? I read a, a story uh, this past week of a church leader who was asked to speak at a conference. At this conference, there was going to be 10,000 people attend. And he, he was given this 15-minute talk slot at the end of the conference. Uh, this leader, you know, he worked hard. He thought about every line of his talk. Uh, but as the conference was wrapping up, the music kind of, you know, went on a bit too long. And so his 15-minute slot whittled down to two minutes. Uh, he, you know, got up, did his talk, uh, and then after the talk, a close friend came to him and said, man, how do you feel about that? You work so hard. You must be so frustrated. You must be so disappointed. Those, those silly music team, how they ran over. And you know what the, the leader said? He looked to his friend and said, it's okay. I'm just a servant. I'm here to serve. That is a life of service. That is what self-sacrifice looks like. See, the leader here wasn't hungry for fame. He wasn't hungry for recognition. He didn't let his ambition cloud his thinking. He just wanted to serve the people at the conference in whatever way he could. And in Jesus' kingdom, that is true greatness. But maybe, maybe you're sitting there wondering, why? why is being a servant truly great? Why is putting yourself lower and others higher the way to greatness? And the answer is, we follow a servant king. Jesus is our model of a life of service. Jesus is our model of greatness. Have a look there with me at verse 28. It says, 
the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. Jesus, in this verse, is called the Son of Man. And this, this is a title taken from the Old Testament book of Daniel. And the Son of Man is depicted as the one who is in charge of everything. He is the one who sits on the throne full of power and authority. He rules God's world. And this is who Jesus is. He is the supreme ruler of the world. There's no part of this world he doesn't have authority over. And what does Jesus, as the Son of Man, do with all his power and authority? He comes to serve. And we see this life of service even in the last few verses of our passage today. Jesus and his disciples, they're leaving Jericho when two blind men cry out to him. They cry out to Jesus for mercy. And now these blind men are at the city gate, not because they think it's just a nice place to hang out. It's because these guys are social outcasts. They sat in the dust all day long, waiting for anyone to stop and help them. And you, and you see how the crowd responds. They're like, be quiet. Jesus doesn't have time for you. But how does Jesus respond? Well, Jesus doesn't walk on by. He stops. He talks to them. And he serves them by giving them sight. Jesus this is classic Jesus, isn't it? He's all-powerful and he's always compassionate. His heart is drawn to the lowest of the low. He doesn't look at the importance or social standing of people. He just looks to serve them. He puts the needs of others ahead of his own needs. He takes time and, and cares for people where they're at. He pursues the needs of others. And we see this heart of Jesus as the servant king ultimately when he puts our needs ahead of his own, when he gave his life as a ransom for us. Have a look there with me at, at verse 18 and 19. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. And he says, We're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death, and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he'll be raised to life. Do you see what Jesus is saying to his disciples? Do you see what he's saying to us? He's saying, I'm not heading up to Jerusalem to, re to sit on a throne and receive a crown of gold. I'm heading up to Jerusalem to be betrayed, to be mocked to be flogged and to be nailed to a cross. I'm heading up to Jerusalem to receive a crown of thorns. And I'm doing this for you, to pay the ransom price for you. Now imagine, imagine this scene with me for a moment. Years from now, you're in a courtroom on trial for, for everything you've ever done. The judge, you know, he looks over the case file of your life. He sees everything things you did in public, things you did in private, things you thought in the quietness of your own heart, things that you're proud of and things that you regret. He sees it all. He then announces the verdict. He says, you're guilty. You're guilty before God of rejecting him and living life your own way. You're guilty of living life thinking you're the greatest and not him. You're guilty 
of going your own way and not God's. The judge then peers over the case file and he says the punishment for living that way is death. Just then some guards get ushered in to to take you away for your sentence. But then all of a sudden, the judge steps down off his seat, takes off his gown and says, I'll take your place. The guards then tie up the judge, take him away, and you're allowed to go free. This this scene, in a really small way, shows what happened when Jesus died on the cross for you. Jesus paid the price. The price for our rejection of God. The price for living a life with ourselves at the centre. Jesus stepped in and took the punishment we all deserved. Because of that, we no longer stand before God condemned. Jesus gave up his life so we can go free. Jesus, the greatest ruler of all, became the greatest servant of all to give us the greatest gift of all. Jesus is our model of a life of service. Everything he ever did was with others in mind. He came to serve and not be served. He came to serve us by dying for us. He chose to pursue our greatest need above his own life. That is a life of service. That is greatness. And so my my question to you this morning is, have you realized the greatness of Jesus? Have you come to him and said, sorry for living life your own way? Have you come to him and said, thank you for dying in my place? Thank you for putting my needs above your own. Jesus paid the price. He paid the price for you. All you need to do is to come to him and say sorry and thank you. Come to him today and and say, I'm going to live for you from this day forward. You truly are the greatest. But maybe you're here this morning and you already know how great Jesus is. And you are super thankful for the life that he gave in your place. Well, the question this passage asks you is, are you living to serve others? Or are you living to serve yourself? When no one else is watching, who are you ultimately living for? Remember, true greatness is a life of service. I think of of Judy, an older Christian lady who I knew when I was growing up who every Sunday morning, she would come into church early and sweep the kids' church room and provide morning tea. She was 60 years old, and I was told that she'd been doing that for 25 years. No one saw it. That is a life of service. That is greatness. I'm reminded of a group of ladies who who organized a carpool roster each week to pick up a, a young girl with schizophrenia to bring her to church. I'm reminded of a guy named Dave, who has a prayer list as long as my arm. And each day he'd work down his list. And when he'd pray for you, he'd message you to let you know that he was thinking of you and prayed for you. I'm also thankful to God for many here who each week serve, who live out a life of service, who serve on a Sunday, who serve and reach out to others during the week rather than waiting for others to reach out to them who serve and sacrifice for their families daily, 
and who are known as the servants in their workplaces. A life of service might not look spectacular in the world's eyes. You might not think you're doing anything special. But in God's eyes, he looks and sees your service of others and he says, that is great. In Jesus' counter-kingdom, position doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what job you have. It doesn't matter what title you have. It doesn't matter if you're a leader at church or a follower. What matters is, are you willing to serve others? Are you willing to do the jobs no one else wants to do? Are you willing to care for those people no one else notices? The constant temptation, the constant pull from our world around us will be to seek recognition. We're to seek status, to seek to be higher and to push others lower. The temptation will be for us to pursue our own needs above others. But we're a part of Jesus' counter kingdom. So let's stand out as a place where things are radically different. Let's be known as a church that seeks to serve others as we follow the one who served us. Let me read these beautiful words from Philippians 2 to finish. It says, Who, that's Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is the one we follow the greatest servant of all. So let's pray that we can follow his lead as we seek to live a life of service. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your son Jesus who came into the world to serve and give his life as a ransom for us. Help us daily see that greatness is found in following the footsteps of our King Jesus. Help us daily to live a life of service of others. Help us to put off our own desires and needs. May we lay them down in service of others. Help us, we pray, to live a life in service of our King. In his precious name we pray. Amen.